0: Okay, so today we promised a shorter message. I better get started. Um, what we're going to be doing today, as you'll see why shortly, is I'm just going to give you an overview of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, once we begin reading in the first verses of 2 Corinthians 10, you'll understand, I think, why 25 to 30 minutes is not enough to cover the depth of what the Lord has in these first several verses. Okay, so we'll get to that in detail, Lord willing, next week. But the book of 2 Corinthians, for most of you that have been faithfully around, and maybe some of you are new, maybe some of you came to Easter last week and you decide to come back. If by chance that's you, man, I'm so glad you're here. Amen. But we've been studying the book of 2 Corinthians for the better part of a year now, and the theme of the entire book is ministry. And each chapter has its own theme. And so we're starting a new chapter, and the theme of chapter 10 is the title I've given this message, and that's the mindset of the ministry. And the idea is, is that you have to have the right perspective. You have to get your mind right if you're going to be able to survive a lifetime of ministry. Ministry's hard. And there's a lot of friction and there's a lot of opposition, as we'll see briefly today. And uh, the Corinthian church was deeply beloved to the Apostle Paul. But they were also known to be carnal. The entire book of 1 Corinthians lays out the level of carnality of that church. And among all their problems that went along with the fact that while they were yet very gifted spiritually, they allowed the wrong influences to get into their heads and to mess with their minds. And can I just say, if you let the wrong influences get into your heads... And mess with your minds it'll ruin you for ministry it'll ruin you and uh, I don't know if you've ever heard it said maybe in some various ways the way that I put I put this in your notes there's different variations to this saying your altitude with the Lord in other words is determined by your attitude not your aptitude The ability to walk with the Lord at a high level, the ability to be really effective, the ability to be fruitful is far more impacted by your attitude, by your mindset, than it is by your skill set. That's super important for you to understand. Listen, you can do a lot in ministry with somebody who has the right attitude, even if they're relatively untrained. You can train that guy. In fact, it's way easier to train somebody who's ignorant but has a good attitude than to adjust the bad attitude of somebody who sees themselves as quite gifted and talented. You've probably had some experience with that. Chapter 10, actually in the narrative and the way that Paul writes and the way that he presents himself is a turning point in this book. Up until now, Paul has actually been very kind. He's been very humble. He's been very gentle with the Corinthians, but the Corinthians were allowing themselves to listen to false teachers. And as a result, they were coming to some false conclusions. For example, they were coming to the conclusion that Paul really wasn't all that he represented himself to be. They were beginning to agree with some of these ad hominem attacks against his person for example if you would glance at chapter 10 and verse number 10 it says for his letters say they are weighty and powerful but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible and so paul is quoting the fact that there are these people who are saying these negative ad hominem attacks against paul in the ears of the corinthians So, starting here in chapter number 10 and continuing, actually, through the end of this book, chapters 11, 12, and 13, Paul begins to defend his position, his position as a legitimate apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the point where this letter begins to take on a very personal note. It was very personal for him. And you can see that by the way he starts it off. In fact, if you just follow along, let's just jump in and just read the first two verses. Now, I, Paul, myself, he's, he's referring to himself in such a way to let you know, hey, this is me, I'm talking to you now, this is very personal to me. I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and am base among you, but in being absent, am bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. And so Paul's clearing off a space and you could even argue or surmise that Paul's maybe even using a hint of sarcasm here where he's like, hey, you know, I'm base among you and I'm bold when I'm far away and God forbid that I would have to be bold when I show up and those sorts of things. Can I just tell you as a matter of introduction, it's hard for a minister of Jesus Christ to defend himself personally. It is. It's just hard. I mean, as a man, right, he knows that deep down he's truly flawed. He is the recipient of God's grace he doesn't actually deserve to be in the position that he's in and that legitimate humility makes you feel like what am I supposed to say when people attack me but on the other hand at the same time God has indeed placed the apostle Paul in a position of ministry leadership for a reason in order to do a job And that job is to shepherd and to guide and to teach God's people. And there are times when opposition will come against you. And there are times when that opposition is going to come in a very personal way. And what you're going to need to do is what Paul begins to do in chapter 10 and through to the end of this book. And that is, he's not so much defending himself, although it will sort of read like that from time to time. He's really defending his position. He's defending the fact for the sake of the ministry that God placed him in a very important role. And the fact that that position that he holds is a necessary position in the body of Christ. So here in chapter number 10, what we see Paul do is that Paul changes his strategy a little bit. He changes his manner of presentation and how he addressed the Corinthians so that he can help the Corinthians change their minds they need to change how they think how they view things and he begins to step it up a little bit and get a little more bold with them and like i said i think he's introducing a little sarcasm here in chapter 10 that i think carries through to the end maybe that's the way i like to read it i don't know you can judge for yourself but the apostle paul He's the greatest Christian that ever lived, and he's the only human being outside of Jesus Christ that we're told we're to follow. There's a couple of important points to look at today as an overview of what we're going to see. So we're going to do this flyby on the entire chapter. Let me just pray, and then we'll look at these verses briefly. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you. We're so very thankful. And we do pray, God, that you would teach us to begin to see as you see, that we would indeed have as your word says every thought taken captive to the obedience of jesus christ and i pray lord that you would start that this morning that you would take your word and that you would speak to our hearts and our minds and our souls and that you would put your finger on the very issue that each one is dealing with everybody's got their own issues so i pray that you would be glorified and that we would only receive glory as you decide Because you are holy, you are just, you are worthy, and we just want to serve you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A couple of main points we're going to look at. First one, you need to change your mind about how you think. Okay, so this is really the theme that's going to run through. I read the first two verses. Let me read 3 through 6, 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, just reading those four verses, can we agree that the next 25 minutes isn't enough time? (laughs) All right, we'll come back in some detail next week. But what I want you to see, man, what an amazing passage of Scripture this is. I I truly can't hardly wait to get into this one later. What he's communicating here generally is, is, again, the, the English language is clear and easy to understand. Your thoughts are the key to everything you do. You act based on what you think. Right? That's what we see in Proverbs 23 and verse number 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You think in your heart about things and what you spend your time dwelling on and thinking on, well, that, that becomes who you are as a man or as a woman. Paul reminds us here in these verses that the Christian ministry, again, the Christian ministry is the job that we all have been given to do, Right? It's referred to as warfare. In verses 3 and 4, we walk in the flesh, we're, we're trapped in this body, but we don't war after the flesh. The weapons of our spiritual, right, warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we know that Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 that Christians are referred to as soldiers. And most specifically, of course, those who are in leadership, like Timothy was, as he received this letter. But to any Christian minister, 2 Timothy two, three, and four: Thou therefore endure hardness. How? As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's what your life. There's a lot of parallels and there's a lot of pictures in the Bible in ways that the Lord wants to teach you. One of them is Christian. You're like a soldier. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, how exactly do you become a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Verse 4, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And when God has placed you in his army and he's set you on this mission and he's put you forth, you need to be ready for the fact that you're going to endure some hardness. And if you're going to fight the good fight... Your weapons aren't physical weapons. Amen. They're spiritual weapons. Our warfare is spiritual. That takes us to Ephesians chapter 6. We talk about the armor of God, verse 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God. You put on armor because you're fighting in warfare. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we, Christians, wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This isn't a difficult concept to understand. And in fact, as simple of an idea as it is, you would think, we're going to come back to this you would think thing a lot, right? You would think people would get it. You would think That as a result, it would be a no-brainer. People would quit fighting the physical battles for earthly kingdoms. Just let it go. But they don't. And so what do Christian people need to do? And boy, isn't this a timely message. Christian people need to change their minds. They need to change how they think about these things. And everything else just falls into place our warfare is spiritual our weapons are also spiritual keep reading in Ephesians 6 jump down to verses we have the whole armor of God reading down I'm going to jump in at verse 17 and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints So we have, really, the only two, arguably, the only two offensive weapons. The armor is all defensive. The fiery darts of the devil come at you. You have defensive armor to protect you. But you have the sword. That's an offensive weapon. And you have prayer because prayer is communication with headquarters. Communication with headquarters tells you, Where to strike, where to fight, where the real enemy is, how he's attacking. If he's trying to outflank you, you outflank him. The Word of God and prayer. Those are your spiritual weapons of your spiritual warfare. And as we're going to see in detail next week, without those two... Man, this is good stuff. Man, I want to camp here. Without those two spiritual weapons on your side, you cannot win these spiritual battles. You'll never get control of your thought life. That's why 2 Corinthians goes on in verse 5 and says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And man, that last phrase, bringing into captivity a whole bunch of your thoughts. No, every thought, every single one to the obedience of Christ those imaginations those thoughts you know what they can be they become strongholds for the devil that's what they become that's what the devil's targeting in you that's what's going on in our world today that's what's going on in the United States that's what's going on in government and politics it's propaganda It's control of all the media. It's censorship of alternate voices. They want to control your thoughts. That's how communists work. I know I live there. That's what they do. And that's what they're doing all around us. You need to cast those things down. I've used this phrase before. It helps me. I hope it helps you. The battlefield that you are on, friends, is only about nine inches wide. The distance between your ears. That's your battlefield right here. You win this one. And everything else falls into place. Every single time. If the devil can get in your head, he wins. And you know how he's going to get in your head? He's going to use false teachers. He's going to use false ministers. He's going to use false apostles. That's what he's going to do. Eventually, we'll get to chapter 11. Let me just read a couple verses out of chapter 11 for you. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Somebody's trying to sell a bag of goods that isn't legit. And no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Better be careful of people who are sure they heard from an angel of light. Is it the right one? Therefore it's no great thing if his Satan's ministers he has ministers, y'all also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. So the mind of Christ is giving you wisdom and understanding into the fact of how the devil works, and he's trying to get in your head. So we need to be diligent to guard our minds and our thoughts. Why do you think we constantly hammer this fact that you need to be in your Bible and prayer every single day? You need to develop your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let him speak to you through his word. You speak to him through prayer. And you develop this daily interaction so that he can cleanse your thoughts and give you his thoughts. This isn't just an exercise that we do because we're preachers and we're supposed to. This is what you should be doing. It's for your good. Otherwise, you're fighting this uphill battle you're bound to lose. The Bible is, as defined, the very mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You go back into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's talking about the Word of God. But you guys know this. Just having a copy on your shelf isn't enough. You need to let it work in you. So Paul says in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you. That's an act of the will. That's a decision that you make to let the mind of Christ actively work in your mind. We have it. You have a copy. Congratulations. Now you need to let it work in you. That's why you need to be in prayer every day. That's why you need to be in constant, regular communication with your commanding officer. You need to have His mind on every subject. I want to remind you, for those of you that are faithfully attending this church, back at the beginning of the year, and at the beginning of every year, I take a Sunday and I clear off a space and I do what I call Vision Sunday. And I cast a vision about what I believe the Lord is doing in our church and going forward in our church. and. This one was back on January 17th, and the Vision Sunday that I had for 2021, I referred to it as the year of change, because I believe that a lot of things have changed, and a lot of things need to change going forward. And the way I describe that, the three little points I put in your notes here are just the summary of the three points of that message. Because of the fact, number one, the world's presentation has changed. Because the devil doesn't care anymore to hide, because the devil's just come out in the open, and He's just going to set up his one world socialistic government because he's just establishing the structure through which the man of sin can step up and take over. He's not even trying to hide anymore. The world's presentation has changed. So as a result, number two, our perspective must change. This is your mindset. This is the mind of Christ in you. We have to begin to see the world for what it really is, y'all. We need to see it through the lens of Scripture, the weapon of our warfare. Our warfare is not carnal, but it's mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. These strongholds may have been built up in your mind and your heart and your soul and your attitudes. They can be pulled down. And mighty through God can they be pulled down. So many of us, like the Corinthians, probably just need to change our minds. And we need to just decide to pursue with all that we have that's in us, the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom of God, the souls of men that will never die and are going to live forever somewhere. And they need to get the gospel. We need to let go of the earthly, physical kingdoms of this world and quit worrying about those battles that don't belong to us. We need to have our perspective change. And then the last point of that message is that at least for some people, our ministry participation may need to change. And the idea is, is that in order to run to the fast approaching finish line, some people are going to need to adjust their strategies. And the phrase I used was, Only do what only you can do. Remember that? In other words, if somebody else can do what you're currently doing, and if that somebody else isn't already plugged into something else, then let them do it. And then you go do something else that nobody's doing, and at the end of the day, more gets done. That's strategic. That's just good thinking, that's just smart. Before we run out of time, that literally is the fulfillment of Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Let me ask you some questions to just consider for yourself. Have you made any disciples that can take over your ministry? Or maybe you're not in that position yet. Is that okay? Um, That's okay, but are you at least working toward that end? Because if you're not even working toward that end, can I just tell you, It's not too late. You can get started. You can decide right now. You just have to get your mind right and start working towards the only thing that really matters and all the more as we see the day approaching. Listen, these are all various ways that you can fight the good fight of faith spiritually and set your mind on the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus that's what we need to do you need to change your mind about how you think and then the last part of this chapter shifts to a different version of that application and I'm calling it change your mind about how you judge this is verse 7 down to the end we'll cover this fairly quickly today of course you judge based on how you think right of course that's the case And basically, it breaks into two different subcategories. The first one, letter A, how you judge others. How you judge others. Let me read verses 7 to 11. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he's Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification, he's speaking of his position as an apostle, and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters, for his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such in one, anybody who would have that opinion of verse 10, let such in one think this, that such as we are in word by letters, when we're absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. Did I say president? present? Present. <laughs> How oh, that slipped up. Vote for me. <laughs> it starts off with the, the real theme. Do you, look on, do you look on things after the outward appearance? Well, if you do, that would be a mistake. Yes. Jesus made it clear, John 7, 24, judge not according to the appearance. That's what he said, pretty clear. How should you judge? Judge righteous judgment. You know, most Christians, like Matthew 7:1, judge not lest you be judged. They want to tell everybody that so nobody will ever judge them. They forget John seven twenty four. You can judge righteously, and judging righteously is according to the Scriptures. You remember a story when Samuel was told to go and anoint the new king of Israel? And he's sent to the house of Jesse, and Jesse's got all these sons, and David's the youngest one out tending the sheep, and Jesse brings all the sons, and God keeps telling Samuel, nope, 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 and he... He's like, man, God sent me to the house of Jesse. You got any more sons? Oh, the little one's out watching the sheep. Go get him. And Samuel's thinking, man, I mean, this this is the runt of the litter. I mean, what are we doing? And God says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You better be careful how you judge others. The Corinthians were judging Paul's outward appearance. They said it's weak. He refers to it, that's why I think it's sarcastic, in verse 1, as base. Base is akin to the word abased. The idea is lowly, cast down, of low degree. Very humble appearance Paul would have had. And they were judging against his bold speech. So he was just this sort of, who knows, crippled old man, whatever, didn't have much to look at. Not that impressive, but man, did he have something to say with some power. But you know what? They didn't like that either. They called his speech contemptible. And if you flip over to chapter 11 and verse number 6, they called it rude. They didn't like the way he talked. Can I tell you something? If you tend to judge others based on how they appear, you're making a big mistake. God knows there's a whole lot more to a man in his heart then is left just to the appearance. And anytime I think of this example, I don't even want to go off on it, but many of you have been in this church long enough and you recall my brother-in-law, Arion, who suffers from physical handicap, and his physical presence isn't all that daunting, right? He's, he's handicapped. But man, he's powerful with his God. He walks with the Lord, and when he speaks, the Lord speaks. That's the idea you have to have in your mind if you tend to judge people based on their appearance, you're making a big mistake. And if you tend to judge people, and if you think that everyone who speaks plainly, occasionally, confrontationally, if you think all those people are carnal, and all the people who speak nice, kind, Bible says flattering words, if you think all those people are spiritual, well, you'd be wrong again. You need to adjust how you think and how you judge those things. Well, obviously, judging others is a critical issue and then ultimately judging yourself. And this is the last section and we'll be done in a minute here. Let me read from verse 12 down to the end of the chapter. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves Are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope, when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand but he that glorieth let him glory in the lord for not he that commendeth himself is approved but whom the lord commendeth now there's a lot of material in here and i just want to make a couple of statements and we'll be done but can i just say If ever there's a verse of Scripture that you ought to commit to memory, among them is verse number 12. I mean, you really ought to have down, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, the people that do that, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. They're not wise. People only compare themselves amongst themselves in a Christian context when they want to excuse their behavior as not being that bad. That's the only reason they do it. I mean, look at that guy. Not as bad off as he is. And we'll save some of the fire for that day when it comes. But let me just say this to you, because you need to understand this. God done great on the curve. You could be thankful your college professor does, but God doesn't. God doesn't grade on the curve. He grades on an absolute standard, and that absolute standard is Jesus Christ. Listen, that judgment seat of Christ is going to have nothing to do with how much better than you did than some group of carnal believers. The absolute standard is gold, silver, and precious stones. That's what it is. And anyone doing that needs to change their mind about how they judge themselves if your target is any other sinful human being you're setting your sights way too low once we're saved our only standard of comparison is jesus christ and let me just bring it home for you with this thought think about it this way ask yourself this question what is your view of yourself You see, if you view yourself as big, you view yourself high and lifted up at any level, some big deal, you're good, you're worthy, that's the view from somebody else who's way down low and looks up at you and sees you as large. That's the view of the serpent. But if you view yourself as small, lowly, humble, nothing, That's the view from on high. That's the view of the Lord. How do you view yourself? And the only praise that should interest you is the praise that the Lord gives, not the praise that men give. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Not he that commendeth himself is approved. Always beware of the guy who's the hero of his own stories, but whom the Lord commendeth. Okay, this is a simple message today and we're done, but I do want to ask you a couple of questions for application. We're going to pray and I'll be done. This is just an overview, but let me ask you this and consider this as we pray. What has God shown you today? How is your thought life? Man, we're going to get into this next time. What do you allow into your soul through the eye gate, through the ear gate? What do you allow in to affect your thoughts. Do you spend time with God every single day in the Word of God and in prayer? Such a simple discipline. How do you ever expect to get victory in your life if you don't do that? If you don't even know how to actually hear His voice speaking to you? It's the only chance we've got. I'm going to lead us in prayer. The band is going to come. We're going to close with one last song, and then you'll be dismissed. But please consider what the Lord would have for each and every one of you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for this word. I thank you for the message of chapter number 10, and I pray, God, that you would be glorified in it. I pray, Lord, that the brothers and sisters here, if there's anything that they need to get right, if there's anything they need to deal with, that they would be honest before you and they would deal with it. If they need to repent of something, let them repent of it. If they haven't had the discipline to spend time with you every day, that they would repent of that and begin today, immediately. That if they need to get rid of some sin, if their thoughts are carnal and evil and vile, that they would repent of that and ask you for the strength to fix it. And maybe somebody's here and they're just not sure they're saved and they just need to repent to their sins and ask you to forgive them. I pray, Lord that you would help us realign our thoughts with your mind. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.